was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to present part two of my conversation with Tony Award nominee Beth Fowler, where we discuss even more of her amazing career, including her appearances in Bells Are Ringing, The Boy From Oz, Beauty and the Beast, Inherit the Wind, and more. So now, without further ado, Beth Fowler again. Well, I'd love to continue by asking a question that I didn't get to ask last time about the beginning of your career, which is when you were starting out and auditioning, how did you sort of find your niche in terms of the roles that you could play? Well, I really wasn't looking for a niche. I um, Actually, I remember thinking... Um, I don't know what I, who I am or what I am because I could do a lot of different things and I was worried about it because I saw that people were playing the same kinds of roles, you know, noticing it over the years, just kind of subliminally, you know, just kind of be aware. And I, I wondered how they would see me because I could be sophisticated and I could be quirky and I could do Molly Brown or I could do Mame, you know? Yeah. And... And I was concerned that I didn't know what would be the right thing for me to go after, and uh, which turned out, in retrospect, to be very funny because it's what got me all these jobs over the years. <laughs> I was able to do different kinds of things and wear different hats and use different voices. I mean, I always used my own voice, but you know, uh, parts of it and. Um, so I, I didn't limit myself if I thought that I could do something, um, I, uh, I would go and audition for it. So uh, I did. And one of the shows that you did early on regionally was Showboat with Leroy Reeves and Max Showalter. And that was at Jones Beach Music Theater for Guy Lombardo, that the 8,000 seat house. Uh, that was, um, the, the first one was Showboat, yes, with Max Showalter, and then they hired me the following year for, uh, Sharon in, in Showboat, uh, Sharon in Finian's Rainbow, um, with Christopher Hewitt and Charlie Repley, uh, and, uh, and that was a, a little bit of a sell because of what I had done the year before, you know, the Julie was so... So very different, and my agent, um, you know, spoke to them and said, "She, you know, she's got many buttons to push, and uh, would you see her for it?" And and they did, and um, and that was that. It was very nice. Yeah. And and it also proved to me that um, that I could convince someone who had seen me do something else. Uh, consider me for something different. And that happened to me many times over the years. I know the last time we, you and I spoke, I told you about the Burt Reynolds thing that he and Danny oh, Goggin yes. had a 
quote-unquote discussion about what role in nonsense I was right for. Um, and, and Danny knew me better than, he knew more about me than Bert did. He'd seen more of my, more of my work. And he said, no, no, she can do this. And then Bert was surprised. So that was, that was the thing. It was nice. Yeah, yeah. And the director who you worked with on these Jones Beak shows was John Fernley. And that's correct. What was your sort of collaboration with him like in these roles? He's just a lovely man. Uh, he had a, a great, you know, he has a relationship with Richard Rogers and that whole team of people that did. I think he, I think in his early days, perhaps he was a stage manager uh, for the Richard Rogers shows or something like that. I know he had a relationship with, uh, you know, the association. That, um, and uh, so he was very conversant with the traditional shows. Yeah. And so one of the next shows you did was an off-Broadway show called Preppies, where you were working yes. with an ensemble cast. And so what was this show about, or? Oh, gosh. It was about Preppies, but I, I couldn't tell you precisely. <laughs> I, I remember there was a, a um, Bob Walton, who was Jimmy Walton's brother, Bob Walton. Uh, he was the adopted son of a very wealthy uh, man, David, who was played by David Saban, who became a friend of mine many decades later, um, coincidentally. And uh, they, had, they were so wealthy that they had live-in servants. And it turned out that my, my, I played the maid, and my husband was the butler, and we indeed were the parents of the boy. That was the trick of the. It was a farcical kind of thing, but the 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 story, uh, the material, a lot of the material, that was the, the basic story. But the material that was being done was about all these preppies. There was a wedding. There was, all, and it was um, about the preppy life. And there was a big number about you know the wedding presents and Tiffany boxes were all over the stage, and you know a lot of uh, tap dancing and nonsense. It was it was very colorful and very fun. Yeah. But we used to say, excuse me, we used to say that uh, unfortunately when it opened, all the preppies were out on Long Island at the, at the East End. <laughs> and nobody came to see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And these kind of small shows that you did off Broadway, or, well, not small, but that they weren't on Broadway, were these sort of, how did you sort of view them in terms of also being a star on Broadway? Me personally, yeah. I well, I just um, I couldn't say. I don't know. I just took each job as it was. I never thought. I shouldn't say I never thought in terms of a career. I certainly did, but I didn't aspire to stardom. I never did. I starred in a lot of regional theaters and summer stock things and stuff, but I uh, never aspired to. I never dreamed that I would be a star on Broadway. Yeah. I, I, I didn't dare to dream it. Yeah. And we talked briefly last time about a show in which you starred on Broadway, which was Take Me Along, but I'd be curious to talk more about that. And so how did that kind of start for you? That was um, at good speed, and I had already worked at good speed, I don't think there were intentions of taking it 
to Broadway. Um, Bob Merrill, who was the original uh, uh, composer, was not involved in, who was still alive, and as the, I believe other members of the creative team were not. He was not involved in the production at all until it was taken to uh, Washington after a couple of other stops, and it was doing so well that he came in and changed a couple of things, um, which which really irritated me personally. I don't know. It's I, I usually keep my nose out of things and don't judge what's being done because I don't see what's happening out front, but I resented the fact that he was changing things that worked beautifully <clears throat> In all the production, all of the presentations, the venues that we were doing it in, yeah. we were doing very well, which is why they were going to bring us in. And then he comes in and starts messing with it. And uh, I remember I was, I was re resentful of that. And I was fortunately uh, had a very lovely relationship with Tom Gruenwald, who was the director, and um, I was able to express that to him in a ladylike way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And do you think that it was the right decision to bring it to Broadway, or? No, it came back to me through other people. In fact, I spoke with a, I can't remember her name. She was, a, a, to my embarrassment, uh, she was a, um, a critic on, a, I think, one of the news channels at the time. And she turned out to be a fan of mine, and we were together briefly for, at a social thing, and we really hit it off she was a real regular gal you know and i said was was the was take me along really what the you know some of you were saying and she said yes she said there were lovely things in it and i you were wonderful she said but it really wasn't for broadway it looked like and it it looked like a summer stock show that was brought in and it just didn't hit the mark and you don't there's some aspects of it you just don't you don't know what it looks like out front you know don't don't know what the impact of it is, you know, especially if you start it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, you don't, you understand. So, so that was that. Yeah. And when you're working on a show that is a revival, like say Sweeney Todd, which you did later or this, how do you, or even in a sense, Beauty and the Beast with the existing movie? Yes. Yes. How do you sort of look at the original if you do, or do you try not to? Well, I couldn't quite help, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, I certainly had seen cartoon, and Sweeney Todd I had seen a couple of times because I saw it with my husband in the audience, and then I saw it with him on stage when he replaced. So, and I can remember, it was back in the day when you either had an LP or you had a, a cassette tape, and uh, he, was, he was going on the road with something, and I was going to be home doing something I forget what even if I was working on but I remember we had an argument about who was going to keep the Sweeney Todd tape oh. <laughs> it gives you an idea where we were financially too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, I uh, I think um, I got to uh, he got to keep it because he was going out of town but um, it, it was really sweet we were so in love with with the score so I couldn't avoid and uh, uh, you know actually you had listened to it many times uh, take me along um, I, I knew some of the songs and I had seen it done in Summerstock and I can remember thinking that would be a really 
that would be a best part. That's what I call it, you know. So now there's a best part I can maybe look forward to someday. And um, so I, I knew what I was getting into, but I, <clears throat> I was not like, in persona, uh, the people that I whose role I was taking on. And I just knew that I always took the, um, my uh, confidence from the fact that the director and the production team hired me. I had to trust them, and I and what gave me the confidence was that I evidently had the qualities of that character that they wanted in their production, and I took it from there. I was in their hands. I brought what I bring to whatever, uh, and the homework that I do, I bring with me, and um, then it's up to them how it goes. I I um, I'm very much a a team player. Yeah. And I also work off. Excuse me. Excuse me. I also work off um, the people with whom I play. And as I mentioned to you, I remember. I was hoping that you would tweak my memory because I'm thinking, what would I? What did we talk about? You know. But now oh. I remember that I told you that it, I was a much different Mrs. Darling to Christopher Hewitt than I was with uh, opposite George Rose. You just do it. It's what you do. It's what we do for a living. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You just listen. You just listen and take what you have and work with what you have. Yeah. And I'd love to ask you to elaborate a little on what you were saying about doing your homework and what that process is like as an actor. Um, I'm not really big on research unless it's um, more seriously oriented. For example, I did a little... I remember one of the first things that I did that was historical, was Tintypes, and it was Emma Goldman that I was playing. And uh, so I did homework, and I researched her. And when I went into rehearsal, I thought, oh, dear God, the woman must be turning over in a grave. I mean, <laughs> she would never be behaving like this or saying things like this. <laughs> um, so I thought, maybe I should just take it easy on the research stuff. But I certainly never researched... Um, musicals that were not historical although i did research i think i did tell you about the ted the um, teddy and alice that i did do homework on um, oh and i also did homework on uh inherit the wind and learned that um the uh, the brian denny role um I can't remember the man's name i played his wife uh oh. that in real life his wife um Forgive me, I'm having a little memory thing there. William Jennings Bryan, thank you, that's why I got married. Um, <laughs> um, that his his wife, indeed, was more than just a supporting, loving wife. She, indeed, had been trained by him um, as a lawyer, and she passed the bar because he adored her, and she was very bright, and he wanted a companion in his passion passionate uh, endeavor of his career he wanted her to know what he was doing and he wanted her help so she used to you know there's a lot of you know there's a lot of stuff that lawyers have to do but in, 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 along with standing up and you know being on stage in court um unfortunately that was never tapped in the show even in my behavior uh with well, with Denny, that was one thing, but 
uh, it was nice for me to know that there was that she had a personal dignity and a strength and an intelligence. I had very, very little to do in that play but to listen. I had very few words to say. And I got a lovely review uh, from the Times, from Ben uh, Brantley. Found that I, actually, I, I, I won't say that I don't read the reviews, I do. And actually, when the Times arrived on our doorstep, the following morning of opening night, I asked my husband to read it aloud to me. And I didn't expect much because of the size of my role. And when he read my review, I, I wept. Oh. I, I couldn't believe that it was so lovely. It was very, very lovely. So you never know, you know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And you mentioned Tim Types and doing your research for that. And on that production, you were working with another great director, Jerry Zachs. And what was your... Yes. What was that like to be working with him? <laughs> well, it was very interesting. I think I mentioned to you that I was very godmother to his elf in Babes in Toyland with the yes, Children's yes. Theater. <laughs> um, and then um, before I did it with him, uh, before I did Tintypes with him, I had done it, <clears throat> excuse me, at the Cincinnati Playhouse with Jack Going directing. And uh, so I had done the role as had um, four of the five of us who were cast in the Jerry Zacks production. And I learned <clears throat> afterwards, somewhat into the run, or during rehearsal from the other actors, that he pretty much did the same thing with each of us. This is what happened the first day of rehearsal after reading through. He took each one of us, and at the beginning of the tintypes, each character comes on stage and does a, a mime, a, a brief moment of, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, some physical um, activity to introduce their character. And I don't to this day remember what it was, but he asked us to each come up and do what we had done before. So, and then each of us was dismissed as we were finished. So I went up and I did my Emma Goldman shtick and he put his arm around me and he said, well, Beth, I know that you probably had great success with this point, but I'm going to tell you, I've seen it done by a lot of people and I know what works and I know what doesn't work. And I'm going to tell you what works. Well, right away, uh, as you probably do a little acting yourself, I understand. Oh, yes, um, that, that, that led me to go... Well, this is going to be a real creative experience. I guess uh, he doesn't. We just need the body here, so I'll do the best I can. And so, another show you did with a historical basis was Martin Gare. You did um, at, I believe, yes. Hartford Stage. Yes. Yes, with what? Yes, um, with Mark. Um, that was a wonderful experience, mostly because I was I just adored Mark and. I also um, loved the people who were in it, um, and they were all so wonderful. Um, but I did not research it. I did not research that show, no. I just took it for face value on the page. And was there ever talk of a transfer for this show? You know what? I, I don't... I don't recall 
there was a tension, and we were reviewed by the Times, I think. I, I think, that, wasn't there, there were other Martin Gares of different scripts, and different persuasions, and I think yes, yes. there was there was probably now that I think of it, rumblings of it, and somebody else was making a recording or something. It may have happened. I I couldn't commit to that, uh, Charles. Yeah, yeah. And so you've been working on Broadway in the period where tryouts out of town were popular, and then when they were not as popular. And what is your opinion on them? And do you think that they work or? Um, I, I really don't have an opinion. I don't know. The work was always done no matter where it was. I, I never knew really how much impact the out-of-town critics had. That's kind of information that I really was not privy to. Um, by the time that I got to actually be the star or one of the stars of the show, I was in a position where most of the things did preview in town. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't, I remember, I mean, there were things that happened like um, when we were in Boston with night music, they replaced uh, Guard Stevens with DJ Bar Jamet Bartlett. Yeah. And it was, it was quite shocking to all of us, we had no idea because we all thought that Gorin was sensational. She wasn't a great singer, however, but she was so, so right for that part. And it it gained the vocal power that it lost, but it lost something in the dramatic power and the comedic power um, that was so natural in what Gorin did. Yeah. Um, but it was, a, it was very, very shocking to us cast members because oh, yes. Hal, Hal was not um, an actress director as you probably know um, he had a, a great uh, sense of uh, the concept and the, the vision and what needed to happen and he, he was also a very very gifted and with the help of Joanna in the casting aspect of it he always cast I would say very the percentage of his spot on uh, casting was uh, very high um, but then once you got working with him you really were pretty much on your own and the most you would get would be uh, you know why don't you try that again <laughs> yeah. which wasn't particularly helpful um, so the chemistry among the actors is uh, really what brought it brought a lot of things along, I think. Yeah. And I don't know. And of course, that was a an adjustment that some had to make in the cast when that cast changed change came out of town. But I I never really reflected on that very much, to tell you the truth, uh, Charles. Yeah, yeah. And so before we get back to Broadway and Sweeney Todd, you played uh, Dorothy Brock in Forty Second Street in stock and with Karen Ziemba and Ron Holgate and others. And so what yes. was it like to take on this role in the show and with Charlie? It Martin? was very much fun, and it wasn't uh, terribly demanding. It was a, a lot about um, uh, comedic timing. It wasn't about great talent uh, for my role. 
um, it's all really in the first act, and then she needs a lot of heart in a wheelchair. I get away with murder. This, you know, just it's a very easy, relatively speaking, very easy role. Yeah. It's about presence. You need to have a very strong, a convincing leading lady presence, which I'd had a lot of experience with. So, and I was parodying it. So, and I had seen Tammy Grimes do it when I was still teaching school. Oh. Um, so I had seen the show on Broadway. But um, I felt very comfortable. The, the songs were nice, and uh, the company, uh, it, um, it, it's, it's, it's really um, about the dancing, you know. But uh, I have to say, when you mentioned Karen Ziemba's name, um, she, to me, is one of the greatest stars uh, that I've ever worked with and that I've ever seen on the stage. Um and I, I just adore her and admire her so greatly. She and the man whom she played opposite, his name is Ron as well. Oh, Ron Maybe Young. Maybe you know this. Ron Young? Yes. yes. Uh, tall, lanky, um, very lovely guy. When they did that, uh, what's the name of it? The turn, you know, the tap, uh, sultry dance thing. It was breathtaking. I used to watch it in the wings. Um, it, it, it just, it, it never, it, and it was very much her, her acting. Her dancing was just gorgeous. Um, she could be cute, but she could be so sexy. Yeah. And she could just turn the faucet on, just do it all. And But she's a wonderful actress. But we, we did Teddy and Alice together, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forget what we, uh, oh, in terms of the, yeah, I did it down in Florida with, I don't even remember the actress myself, sorry to say, and uh, and then I replaced um, someone at uh, the Coachlight Theater uh, for Susan Schulman, because Susan Schulman had uh, had directed it at, um, at the, uh, an evening theater, an evening dinner theater, I think that's what it was, the, uh, in Elmsford. K.K. Priest was doing it, and I replaced her. And that was a very difficult thing to do because the, the company adored her, and I had done the role before, and I felt comfortable. But Susan asked me because she knew I, she knew my work, of course, I, and then um, just asked me if I would come in, and I said yes, because I wasn't working, obviously. And... Um, it was one of the hardest times they ever had it in. It was a shared dressing room with the with the uh, female company, and it was uh, obvious from the day one that they were very sorry she was gone and I was there. Oh. And I have never ever felt that in a dressing room. I always had a wonderful time with my classmate, uh, my fellow castmates, and it was very hurtful. And it took a. It wasn't that long of a time that I had to replace. I think it was three or four weeks or something. And um, I can't remember any time that I felt that hurt in a company, and say in a lot of shows. It was odd. And they were nice people, but they just, um, they didn't want her to be gone. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were having a lot of fun uh, in the dressing room. And I didn't have the personality that KK had. She was really bigger than life, and I'm not. <laughs> and um, and I knew that I was a replacement, and I had to adapt to it. 
to what they were doing, which I'm very good at. Um, I, I always, you know, I give, I give stage. I don't, you know, I do diva. I do diva on stage, uh, not off stage. And uh, it was just uh, odd that I, I hadn't thought about that in years. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry that that was that that happened. Um, I'd be curious to know: was dancing something that you trained in? And if it wasn't, did that ever affect anything? Thing. No, not at all. Oh. Not at all. Um, and I, I'm not a dancer. I, I don't dance well. I don't. I had a tap and nonsense, and it was hysterical. Um, and they just thought it was adorable that I didn't know how to do it. But I had, a, you know, I faked the steps, but it was very funny. But um, ironically, a friend of mine came to see uh, my gypsy, and she was very complimentary. It was very nice. We did it uh, at. Um, Elmsford, the same theater, and uh, she said the only problem I had, Beth, was that your your roses turned. You you looked too good. It was like I was sitting there saying, "Well, she's that talented. Why didn't she become a star?" <laughs> you know. She said you 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 danced it so well, and it was Susan Stroman who choreographed it. Oh. She's what she did. She made me look like a dancer, <laughs> which was really a big accomplishment. <laughs> I move well. I move well. I'm oh, grateful, okay. and I have a very good sense. You know, I'm very musical, so that oh, helps yes, a lot. Yes. Yes. But um, it was really no, no. I never. Every it seemed like every time I would start taking uh, dance lessons, I'd get a job, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd always be very relieved. <laughs> yeah. And so the place where we left off in part one of our last interview was talking about Sweeney Todd and the transfer from New York and so what was your collaboration like with Bob Gunton who was the Sweeney Todd opposite your Mrs. Lovett? It was just fine. Bob and I had worked together twice before. Once uh, when Hal Prince uh, and Stephen Sondheim wanted to see how night music would play in a smaller venue. There was a very small theater in Paramus, New Jersey, called the Playhouse on the Mall. It was in a mall. And that was starring Dorothy Collins and Ron Holgate. And uh, the um, and Bob and I played the Count and Countess. And he and I had already done a show called um, Who Am I at... Manhattan Theater Club before it became MTC uh, in the old days down on the um, in in the seventies was like seventy first Street and I don't know about Second Avenue or something and it was a, a musical ad adaptation of the story of the fairy tale The Goose Girls uh, written by Seymour Barab who was a cellist with the New York uh, Philharmonic and um, Beatrice Strait. The Academy Award-winning uh, and Tony Award-winning actress directed it, and whom I adored, uh, absolutely adored. And um, so I worked there with him, and that was, oh gosh, uh, I don't remember what year that was. And then we did the night music, and so we knew one another. Oh, yeah. And so we worked very well together. Bob and I are actors who work very well on stage and we have absolutely no social connection. Uh -huh. And some people you do and some people you don't. And 
recently there was, you know, at the York, uh, Jim hosted the, the Sweeney Todd reunion. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and, um, Rob made a, a lovely, came on board later because he had lost his brother and wasn't able to attend and did it, you know, later. And he, I saw it when it was all edited together and I saw his, when he spoke about me, I was very, very touched and brought to tears. Um, I, I never realized he thought so much of me. <laughs> um, it was funny because we weren't all over one another. You know, we just, we just worked well together. We complimented one another very well, but we just weren't, we weren't not friends. We just weren't friends. Yeah. It's funny. I never had a, I never had a cup of coffee with him, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it didn't, didn't matter. didn't matter on stage. We read one another very well. And we both, I think, were the same, same page in terms of how comedy works. And it just, it just was, uh, it was a pleasure because I trusted him. Yeah. I trusted him. Yeah. And when and you, I love it, and I love his voice too. I love the way he sang that score. It's gorgeous. And when you are doing such a sort of dark role and show, does that ever affect you personally? Do you ever find that? Oh yes. Oh, I would say yes. Oh. Yes, you you carry you carry that uh, that with you through the day. You can't. It just um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. It's it's just in there. It's it's when I say cooking in the back on the back burner through your day. You know yeah. that darkness, that darkness. Yeah, yeah. And was the collaboration between you and Bob Gunton what made the show so successful, or what do you think it was that? I don't know. I just think I think uh, that Susan had a great deal to do with it. Her her concept, and she is. A, an actor's director she knows how to talk to actors and she brings you along she's inclusive she she talks about it with you doesn't does she doesn't just tell you what she wants yeah she talks about, you you have a discussion about it and um because our concept was quite different and the you know my mrs lovett it, it was her encouragement not my idea that my Mrs. Lovett really, really loved him. She had always loved him, and that informed the way I sang the opening thing, that, that the whole strain of discovering, oh, my God, could it possibly be him? Oh, my God, I'm going to die. Oh, my God, is it really him? Oh, my God, it is him. It was really from passion and love, not just from the excitement of it. And then he became her dream um, of coming, of, of, leaving the bourgeoisie and, and you know, having, living in a cottage by the sea and that whole daydream thing that she had of becoming legitimate and a lady and uh, and he brought her hope for that because he was, you know, he was a barber and he was respected and all that stuff. Yeah, it was a, a real story. It's like not the same, but for me, it was the same as my telling you when some actor on the street whom I loved that to me, I'm... It's, just a shame that you guys are having to play objects. I'm not playing an object. I'm not a teapot. I'm a mother who's in fear of losing her son. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not certainly not playing that, but that's why I'm there. That's what the that's why I made people cry. You know, when I sang the song, you know, it came back to me so many times. Yeah. 
it's, it's always about, uh, you know, listening to one another and taking it seriously as a real true story, no matter what, whether it's, no matter what it is. And because I believe there is no CD of that production of Sweeney Todd, can you tell me a little bit? Correct. Can you tell me a little bit more about Susan Shulman's vision and what was changed in it? What changed in the piece? Oh. Well, the, it was a collaborative effort, and I know because of the setting of the theaters that we were, well, we started out in the gymnasium, but um, what in the transfer to uh, the circle in the square, they very much considered the space, and they realized they had the grand opportunity to make it environmental theater and make it more intimate and more personal, because I was told that Steve really originally envisioned it as a chamber piece, and um, that it became this huge theatrical thing. Um, but she hoped to uh, capture what that real what that story actually was and to get the intimacy of it and still maintain the, the grand musical moments and the thrilling large melodramatic moments uh, but in a more real way and to intimidate the audience by blocking the uh, exit aisles from the you know the exits from the round um there would be a member of the ensemble standing in, in an intimidating stance at the top of the steps uh, when he did uh, the um, what is the name of the number beth um menacing with the with the uh, razor my friends epiphany epiphany oh, epiphany. oh yeah yeah, I think that's it. Um, um, but uh, that th people felt threatened. It was funny, but they were uncomfortable yeah. being uh, involved in that. And it was it was spooky. It was very spooky. Okay. The um, next big show you did on Broadway was Beauty and the Beast. And so how did that sort of come about? The, um... I was invited to do a stage reading that Disney was doing of Beauty and the Beast. And uh, it was very well cast, and I knew a few of the people, and um, in fact, a guy that I played opposite a couple of times, Ron Carroll, was uh, was Papa. And um, it was very nice, and that's all it was, was a staged reading. But it was what was odd about it was that when we went into the room where we were going to rehearse and then perform, um, there were uh, uh, storyboards on the walls and costume designs and sketches and things. And, I mean, this doesn't happen on Broadway. This I know, you know. Yeah. But it was Disney. And um, so they had a storyboard of the scenes of, of, this, of, the, of the musical. And I came home. I couldn't wait to tell Jack. It was just so peculiar. <clears throat> and, um, and then... I don't, we seem to have rehearsed longer than you normally would for a stage reading. And um, it was really just for the Disney people and design people, I think. And uh, I remember that this very sophisticated British man who did not become the, the designer uh, of the, the Broadway production, but he was famous, I, I can't remember his name, um, uh, costume designer. He, he and his staff were measuring us all 
This is her stage reading. <laughs> this is like about a year or so before this went. Uh, in fact, what happened in between was I did Sister Act. I was in L.A. for five months doing that. And then, uh, oh, just way too long a story. But anyway, it was very odd that, that it was Jay Binder who cast it. And Jen, Jay Fender Binder was always a big fan of mine. Um, and, uh, and and I could tell you a little fun thing in the background of that. Oh. He was a teenager who studied with my voice teacher. I was the only voice teacher I ever studied with. She um, And I was in my 20s, and he was a kid. And he when he came into the visit, he was so excited that he knew me like a person oh. from New Jersey. It was so cute. And I thought of, you know, little Jay Bender is working in New York now. <laughs> and then there was all of a sudden, oh, my God, he's this big guy, casting guy. But he always remembered me. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was what was going on there. And he, he was very instrumental in that. Of course, uh, a lot of the roles were recast. When Then when I, when I did actually audition for Disney... I was. I think I was in L.A. for the. Uh, we had to do some looping for Sister Act, and I, I had. They had to fly me ba back for the the audition. I couldn't do. Oh no, I know what it was. They did a, a kind of tag thing at the end of the Sister Act movie, and um, where the nuns were all doing this kind of silly gymnastic kind of things and for fun, and it was like a tag, and also the last scene of the show of the movie. I missed it. Because I, I was not going to miss, I was not going to miss uh, auditioning for Mrs. Potts. Because oh, it was a good thing it was Disney. They let me go. Sister Act let me go because they were Disney. Because they knew that, that Michael and, and uh, you know, that they wanted me in New York to, to see the big, big week. So, so I came in and I read the scene and then went into this, this uh, I did the scene where, um, uh, where Chip says, Mama, yes, son, yes, Chip, will I ever be a boy again? And I say, soon, if it's to be, it'll be very soon, dear. And that line got me the job. That, that, just, that just, and, and I, sang, I sang Beauty and the Beast. And I knew that that was the line, because I had done the stage reading. That was the, that was the key to, you, you had to get that moment just right. Um, and uh, and Jay Binder told me that the woman who wrote the the book was outside in the lobby. She left the, the left the audition area, and he went out to get her because somebody else was coming on. And he said he told me this, and he said she was in tears. She was drying her tears, and he said, "I'm sorry if I interrupted nothing." And she she just looked at him. And she said, "Did I write that?" And he said, she meant the way you read that line. I'll never forget that. There's something just for you. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yes, it is. It is. It was very sweet. And so a lot of people credit Beauty and the Beast, uh, along with Disney, as what sort of started to help clean up Times Square. So since you were working in Times Square from the 70s to then, what were yes. your experiences like with that? And Absolutely, absolutely, yes. I never walked on 42nd Street. I know that the right mayor was in at the time. Giuliani was uh, cleaning up. And um, 
it uh, and and the money that Disney was pouring into New Amsterdam and making it and making a big show of we mean business, we want to help. They were both New York guys, you know, Jeff Katzenberg and and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner. They really were passionate about making restoring Broadway to its to its golden days and cleaning up uh, Times Square and all of that. They were passionate about it. And um, it was it was quite exciting. And and the the sad thing was that uh, we if it, the audiences hadn't been so mad for it, um, the reviews were were there's a lot of Disney bashing. Yeah. No, the big the big producers did not like Disney coming in doing that. It was bad enough with Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, uh, and they, they were, it was becoming a little London. And um, and now Disney comes in and um, and I understood it. I, I I I understood where they were coming from, and what they were afraid of. But look what they what the, look what they brought. They brought the people in. They brought the children in. They built audiences with the children who came with their parents. Um, and they brought them in and they revitalized. They revitalized, no matter what you think of what's going on on Broadway, which I think is wonderful, actually, because um, there's so much assimilation now, it's it's incredible. Who would have thought this, you know, 40 years ago? Uh, it's They opened the doors. They cleaned it up, and now, now you walk bravely up 42nd Street, and you rehearse on 42nd Street, and, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... I'd be curious to know about being involved with Disney and then the the fact that the show and the costumes and makeup and sort of special effects and how that came into play for you. It was it was thrilling, and, and they threw a lot of money at us, uh, not to the actors, <laughs> but to the production. And the production, you know, was overblown and all that stuff. But it was it was very much fun, and the costumes were so extravagant and, and magnificent um and they took very good care of us they were very but they we didn't make a lot of money relatively you know what you might have been making with other producers maybe um but they um the, the principles were treated like gold they really because they felt the way they did about broadway and they couldn't believe that they were that they had a you know broadway show they respected us greatly they it seemed that they knew they knew what they had in us. The cast, it was beautifully cast. It was a yeah. very strong, beautiful cast. And um, it, it was um, it was a joy. And and that score, you know, I, I did that all together over a period of I don't know how many years, maybe nine or ten. I did it for seven years. I did other shows in between and did it in L.A. and all that. And I had to sit on the deck all night because I couldn't sit through the doorway. And I did sit on the elevator, I, and I couldn't get out of my, my costume. So I only went broke, it was taken upstairs at, at intermission. And I sat on the deck uh, through the entire show eight times a week, and I never tired of listening to it. Oh, yes. Yeah. I never tired of listening to Daddy Troob's orchestrations and that score. It was just, and that... It was gorgeous. It was just gorgeous. I never tired of it. And it was always very easy to go out to a house full of children and, and you know, parents who wanting to show their children um, and, and give them joy and fun. And 
it, it's, it was a very, very satisfying show to do. And, oh, I did just want to tell you about Disney and what you were saying, that I was actually just on 42nd Street today, and it was, the, yes. Disney is, of course, very much still there, and it was exciting to see all that and what they've done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. It's very, very, it, uh, salvation, salvation <laughs> came to 42nd Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've said that, you've said in a previous interview that the song Beauty and the Beast is like a Rogers and Hart song, and I'd be curious to know why the, why you made that comparison. Oh, well, I, I did because I, um, I used to say that when you sing a Rogers and Hart song, um, you do yourself and Rogers and Hart a favor and just stay out of the way. Just tell what the story, what they're, what what they have to say and implement the music just just to be a servant to the song you know i mean it's another thing if you're your cabaret act and you play with it okay but in the context of the moment um or even in the moment even in a cabaret act i i consider every song a little play um and it was that way that's what i meant that uh, beauty and the beast it didn't need any riffing or any elaboration it just needed to be sung with heart which is how it was written with it was written with great great heart musically and lyrically yeah that's what i know yeah and so you stayed in beauty and the beast for a while and what was it like for you with all the different actors that will be coming in and out well it was stimulating actually um you know it, it started when um we let five of us, they took, they called us the five majors and they took us to LA to open it out there. And I stayed out there for seven months <clears throat> and others stayed longer. And, um, but I didn't want to stay any longer than that was enough. Um, you know, I wanted to come home and married and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, when I came back, Leroy was playing Lumiere, you know, I was like, Oh, Leroy. <laughs> and I had worked with him before. And, and, um, so that was a hoot. And so, so I and I had like a dozen chips over the years, um, as I mentioned. You know, Nick Jonas and uh, I think it's it Andrew Wiley, little from the TV show. He was out in LA and he did it for some, some months. Um, but uh, every cast brings out different things in you, and um, there were some groaners. There were some replacements that were very, very difficult to support, uh, you know, with um, energy and enthusiasm, uh, um, you know, because I, there were people who really didn't, they were doing a children's show. Yeah. Uh, and we did not, we did not treat it that way. We really didn't. Gary didn't. As broad as a, a you know, interpretation it is, uh, Burke as broad as we all really believed what we were doing and uh, very broad strokes but very earnest strokes and Susan Egan um, was Belle she was Belle and Linda Wolverton I mean if you met with Linda Wolverton there's oh there's Linda Wolverton all these she's got you know Linda Wolverton has red hair um, she is Belle I think she wrote that about herself um, about her passions and stuff about reading and you know literature and love and good nature and honesty and all those wonderful characteristics that are, you know, portrayed in the 
in the play. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's every every show cast had a, a different dynamic, and you just you know played along and and played too, and new papa, new papa, you know, yeah. uh, new boy, new boy. So it was uh, it was never dull. It was always very stimulating and kept you on your toes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would love to go back a little bit to talk about Sister Act, which you were saying you did right before Beauty and the Beast. And, of course, that's a movie that so many people love, including me. And um, The Sister Act story is um, is long. Um, I, I was guaranteed 16 weeks work, and it turned out to be uh, five months, and um, we only worked part of it. We did not work except on the songs, which I could have learned over the phone, I always say. Um, <laughs> they were very simple songs, but we worked with uh, with Mark, um, you know, for a couple of hours, a shaman, and which was hilarious. I mean, can you imagine working with Mark Shaman for two hours every morning? I mean, it was oh. hilarious. Uh, crazy. And so we learned of those fun, fun uh, adaptations of the songs. But we, we were waiting for the script to be written. And I, I will make it a shorter version because it is really very long. I'll just say that when I was hired, I thought I was going to be one of a trio of singers that would be discovered when she was put in a convent, made into a trio. It, it, was, it was a whole different ball of wax. And I learned later that two of the other actresses um, believed were told the same. I was oh. going to be one of the featured players, not just a member of a 12-member um, um choir um, but I had no resentment about it um, and but they put me up in Oakwood Gardens and I did nothing but learn these songs for almost a month because they kept uh, you've probably read um, replacing the uh, the writers even Carrie Fisher was one of our script writers um, it was just bizarre um, but then we um, started shooting and uh Whoopi Goldberg was the best star you'd ever want to work with, except Hugh Jackman, and there are a lot of other ones too. But she was amazing. She never she never hid in her trailer, and in movies you'll know what I mean if you ever had anything to do with them. Um, very often the stars will just you know go to their trailer and could you know either work on lines or just rest or whatever they do in there. And um, but she hung out with us. And there's a lot of downtime in movies. And she kept our spirit up because a lot of what we had to do was as a group. And we had to have a dynamic of that group. And she was the one that created it. She and Kathy Najimy and Wendy McKenna, the three, you know, principals of the, 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 the parts of the movie that involve all of us, um, we had to have a personality, you know, as, as a, a choir. And because we had very little, there was very little featuring done of, of any of us. So I, I'm sure that Whoopi knew exactly what she, what she was doing. When we had downtime, she would horse around with us and do uh, hijinks on the altar of the church, for example. I remember thinking to myself, we're all going to go straight to hell. This <laughs> is super, super sacrilegious. Thank God, you know, this, 
and hostess in the sanctuary. It's, uh, you know, the tabernacle is being, could never be the same again. Um, just absolutely, they were doing, they were doing riffs on Agnes of God on the altar with Wendy McKenna birthing a baby into a wastebasket. I mean, don't even get me started. She had us in hysterics. And so she would deal with us uh, like, you know, that we were fellows. We weren't, it wasn't Whoopi Goldberg doing her nightclub act. She was, she had her girl. She played with us. She horsed around with us. And what she got was an adoring choir that when we were up there in front of her, we weren't acting. We adored her. We knew how funny she was, how fun she was, how bad she was, how wicked she was, what a warm heart she had. And all of it, all of it was right in front of us. We didn't have to act. We just had to respond to the moments in it, and it was just delicious fun. And the greatest gift that I had was to get to know Mary Wicks and Maggie Smith oh. and um, and um, Susan Johnson and Ruth Cobart. Those were, and they went on to be my friends. Well, not Maggie, um, uh, but we had a wonderful, good amount of downtime, just the two of us, which was amazing. And I was pinching myself, calling Jack, you're not going to believe this, you know, I mean, I couldn't believe it. She was such a doll. But she was only, she was all by herself. And I said, you know, I'm going to rent a car and go to the mall, and it's going to be Christmas when we get home. And she said, oh, God, yes, please get me out of this hotel. <laughs> so, we, so we went to the mall and went Christmas shopping, and and it was hilarious. But um, they were... Ruth Cobart and Susan Johnson were old-time. Susan Johnson was the ori original uh, Cleo and Most Happy yes. Fella. And what was it, Kelly or some other things? Oh, forgive me, I'm, you'll know better than I. And Ruth Cobart was the original Domina in Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And, um, and Mary Wicks. I, that, that's all I have to say, Mary Wicks. And I don't have to say anything else, right? No. And no. those three women and I, I was, I was the baby. I was the baby in the group. I was like, I don't know, I was about 50 at the time. And um, to be with those three women and hang out with them and stories and reminiscences, but not a lot, mostly just commenting on what was going on and what was going on in the world and what do you think about this and what do you think about that. They were Broadway babies, and it was, it was a time. It was just magnificent. And we kept friends over the years till they were gone. And uh, that was a big gift to me. Yeah, yeah. It and was quite a wonderful ride. And we had no idea. I, I can wrap it up for you by saying that we we were shooting. I remember I had breakfast with <clears throat> the director of photography one day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, and I said, my God, these scenes go on forever. He said, well, uh, Emil uh, Ardolino was his name, Emil Ardolino. Um, he said he shoots a lot of film because, and he told me this, he said, um, and I know why he's doing it. He said, you know, he's, he comes from television and um, he's gotten Emmy awards and stuff. He said, he said, he started out as an editor and then he went into directing. He said, so he's going to, he's going to cut this up and, you know, well, there was a lot of the stuff that we were shooting that we like, oh, this is funny. Oh, this, what are they going to do with this? Oh, yeah. Whoopi was very ticked off. She was not happy. Oh. She was not happy a lot of days. She was cranky. And she was, she would, she would yell at Disney on this big clunky, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. She had these big clunky, this kind of cell phone type things. 
And she would call Disney from the altar in front of us and give them and read them the riot act using all kinds of language. I mean, it was, she didn't go hide in a trailer and make the phone call. She'd take, make the phone call in front of us. Like we were her girlfriends, you know, it it was amazing. And, um, so I'm now I'm back in Florida doing, um, one of my plays at the cold Rail theater. And they're going to have a sneak preview in, in, I think it was Boca or Fort Lauderdale or somewhere nearby. Um, and my husband was visiting. And so, and my cousin lived down there. And, and I said, well, you go to the, and let me know, you know, go with Walter and, and let me know how it goes. So the curtain comes down on the play and my husband is backstage with my cousin. And they're going, you're not going to believe it. People were standing on their chairs screaming. Okay. I said, what? What? Oh my God. Oh my God. It's hilarious. It's so fabulous. It's like, carrying on like a couple of girlfriends uh, it was so funny i went come on come on you're kidding no you went wait till you see it and i had to wait another you know i don't know six weeks before i saw it and then the rest is history we had no idea and so before we do talk about Hugh Jackman, who you were mentioning in The Boy From Oz, I do want to talk about Bells Are Ringing, which you did in 2001 with Faith Prince. And so the director of that was Tina Landau and Jeff Calhoun. And yes. so what was that collaboration like with them? I loved Tina Landau. Um, I adore her. She, I had a great simpatico with her. I don't know what it was. We just hit it off, and we we had some good talks. Um, and she gave me a lovely gift when we closed uh, with an inscription. Uh, I, I really admired her. But she was, I have to say, I don't know, I, can I not say it? I, I, she was a little out of her element. Um, that is a very, very traditional show. And I, I don't know, uh, you know, just why it didn't work. I, I thought that it was one of the worst sets I ever worked on in my life. I really think it affected the piece. Um, and our choreographer who was very, very gifted and has won Tony Awards and has done beautiful things. I I never felt he was that interested, honestly. Um, it, it was uh, it was a very difficult show for me to do, except for my acting partner, you know. Um, I, uh, and I adored Faith. And she was wonderful. And Mark was brilliant. In fact, Mark did some things that, that were cut. Um, and I did, never understood why. Uh, in rehearsal, he just absolutely made me crazy. He was so good. Um, and then somehow on the stage, it got lost. And I really felt that it had some something to do with the, the uh, set. It was very odd. I never knew where I was. I mean, I did, you know, yeah. but I never felt comfortable. It was, everything was a stretch. Very odd, very odd. And it was a very stressful time. Oh. I, I, did, I didn't particularly enjoy it um, myself. I don't know why. And it was the part that I did, I cho- that's the part that I chose over another part um, in Tom Sawyer, you know, so that I could... Yeah show the world that I had a waistline um, after having done beauty for so many years in that pot. Um, it's really why I did it. It's why I chose that. And it was a fun, fun thing to do for the part. It was 
sweet. And Jean Stapleton came on opening night, but that oh. was a treat to meet her, and she said nice things. It was very sweet. Uh, but, yeah, it was kind of shocking. And we went through a lot of garbage with the producers, and it was not nice. It was yeah. really not nice. It was not fun. But, but they were very tough on, on, on Faith. She, oh. she really, God bless her. I adore her. She's just a great gal. Oh, and were were Condon Green ever there? Or oh, um, well, Betty Condon was, and um, uh, 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 it was no, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, Adolf Green's wife, uh, Phyllis. Phyllis knew what Phyllis was there. Phyllis was there. And, um, oh, my gosh. She was so much fun to watch with because I used to watch the run-throughs, you know, sit there. And she and I would just be beating on one another and, you know, laughing at the Kleenex uh, because they did such brilliant things. Marty, oh, what was his name? Marty, say the dentist. Oh, God, he he just made you die. He was so funny. No, we never saw Compton Green, no. And so now we do come to uh, The Boy From Oz, and how did that first come into your life? I auditioned for it, um, and uh, after having, uh, once again, I turned down, I turned down the audition. Okay. And they wanted me to sing the song, Don't Cry Out Loud. And I went and bought the sheet music, and I worked on it, and I called my agent, and I said, this is not a bad song. I don't know why they want to see me. I, it's not, you know, the script is fine. They have nice scenes and everything. But um, I, I, I really, um, it's just, this is not a Beth song. It's, it's not for me. And he said, well, if, so you want to pass on it? And I said, yeah, that's, that's the song that she sings. And I, I don't, it's, it's not, it doesn't sit well in my voice. And I'm, no, it's a pop song. It's really not for me. And he's okay. A couple of weeks went by, and he called me back, and he said, um, so Phil McKinley wants to know um, why you weren't on the list. He was looking for your name, and uh, they told him, and they, his answer was, tell Beth she can sing it in any damn key she wants. I don't want to hear what's her face sing it. I want to hear Beth Fowler sing it. Oh, wow. So I went, oh, well, <laughs> I <guess> I'll go. <laughs> so, myself together and went and um what i did was i did the key scene i said may i do the scene into so usually you sing first and then you do um uh you you do this you sing first and then you do the scene and i said could i i'd like to uh you know like it means like we're interested in you would you do a scene you know kind of thing so i said may i do the song, the uh, scene into the song. They said, sure. So I did. And it was, of course, it was doing, you know, this very touching scene. And then saying, don't cry out loud. And I left and went home and I was in the car. I went to, I went, the the real story is I went and had coffee with Barbara Marino, who had been doing the role in all the readings, all the workshops, all the things. She's a friend, right? And she said, Beth, when I saw you walk down that hall, I waved to her. She was going into the room to audition. And I didn't know she had been doing all these readings and stuff. 
And I gave her thumbs, thumbs up and blue kisses. And I said, wait for me, wait for me when I come out. You know. And um, she did, and we went to co- for coffee. And on the way home in the car, I got the call. Wow. And um, that they wanted me. And I said, oh, my God. I came home and I said to Jack, I have to call Barbara Marino and tell her. I, I don't want her to find out on the street or from somebody else. I need to tell her myself. And it was the hardest phone call for me to make. And of course, she made it. She's such a lovely, lovely, wonderful woman. Because um, she covered me in beauty. She replaced me in beauty for a while. And she was a lovely Mrs. Potts. I saw her when I came back in. I, I watched her when I saw the show when I came back in. And she was so gracious. And she said, Beth, I knew when I saw you up down that hall, I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um, it uh, it just seemed the right thing to do. But um, that was that's how I got it. Yeah. yeah. And so, what was it like to be working with Hugh Jackman, who was this huge star, and became it from this? It was over the moon. It was over the moon high. It was a year on Broadway of bliss. Every night that I stepped over that threshold of that Imperial Theater. And I, no matter how I felt physically, no matter what the weather was like, no matter whether whether it was a one-show day or, a, you know, a three-show weekend, I knew I was, you know, I was going to be in heaven for the next few hours. I was going to Rio. That's where I was going. I was going to Rio. And there was no place else I wanted to be. It was a beautiful experience for me and for everybody in the building. It was a, a real treat. I loved doing what I was doing, and I loved being part of that show. And with the people, and with him, he was he was extraordinary. And so we talked about Inherit the Wind a little bit earlier, and I'd be curious to know, since that was your last Broadway show to date, would you be open to coming back to Broadway? I honestly don't think I have eight a week in me. Uh, on Broadway, I, I did a, a two-hander a few years ago called Velocity. I told you about that. Um, I guess it's maybe it's four or five. It's maybe it's five years now, and um, that was fine for two weeks. But uh, you know, you know how old I am, and uh, I I really don't think I have the stamina uh, to do it. And I have to tell you, I I had COVID, and I've had my two shots, and um, COVID took. It was a mild, quote-unquote, case of COVID. I wasn't really ill. Uh, I had a mild cold, but the fatigue was the biggest complaint. And that was in February. And I still have not fully recovered from that fatigue. And I've talked to other friends, and they said, it's not because of your age, Beth. You're very robust, and you're very strong, and you're very healthy, and all that stuff. And um, it it did something to to my body. I get very easily fatigued. Yeah, I mean, I I do have certain symptoms, but it it depends on what day it is, and if, you know, I I can't explain it any other way. But no, but uh, but I my agents uh, asked me to re up my contract for three years and a couple of months ago, and because I do do some, uh, I haven't lately lately because I there hasn't been much that's come across the table for me but what has I haven't been interested in or I am not or I have so little turnaround time from the audition to putting it on 
getting the, the, the script and putting it on self-tape that I refuse to do it, you know, in 36 hours. Yeah. It's a whole macula in your own house. It's just, it's too, I, I just, I'm very cranky about that. I, I don't want to do it. So uh, I, I just ask them to say offer only. Yes. You know, give them my tape. I have a lot of different stuff on tape, so. But, you know, I'm, I certainly have to stand it to do that. But eight, eight a week I, uh, for a length of time, I don't think I have it in me. And I just did want to say I hope that you do feel better from COVID, and I'm sorry that... Oh, thank you. Oh, yes, I will. I promise you I will. <laughs> oh, yes. And so you traveled to the Irish Rep shortly after Inherit the Wind to do Ernest in Love with Charlotte Moore and Barry McNabb as the creative team. And yes. What yes. was this of taking on this show? Uh, Ernest in Love was absolutely delicious to do. It was a lovely cast. Um I loved working with Charlotte Moore. Um, she, um, I had a absolutely fun audition uh, that I gave her, and she just hooked it right up. She just went for it. It was so adorable. Um, and we just hit it off, and I was so excited to do Lady Bracknell. Um, I was very, very uh, honored, and, and I just was very, very happy to be doing it. And it was uh, it was a lovely time, and the woman who wrote it uh, was came to see it, and was, came twice, and um, she loved it. She was so proud, and I know Charlotte was too. It was a lovely, lovely cast, some wonderful young people. And so you've done a few revivals of sort of rarer, or I don't want to say forgotten, but less successful shows at the York and at the Irish Rep. And do you think yes. are there other shows that you think deserve a second? sort of chance like that? Oh, you know what? I'm not really good at that off the top of my head. Uh, I'll tell you, the only thing that um, comes up, uh, rears its, its crazy head every <laughs> once in a while is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, yes. um, there have been threats to review it, to re <laughs> renew it and re revisit it. And, and, and I can understand why, because the score is so magnificent. And uh, when we did the original production, there were just so many cooks it got all mushed up, um, and there were great problems. But uh, I think really it's a concert piece. But I can't think off the top of my head um, of of anything that I wish were readdressed. I uh, my, one of my favorite shows is Fiorello, oh. um, and uh, I but I don't think it would play in this in this time. I don't think people would get it. I think it's a little too late, and it's a shame. That's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite overtures, uh, and it's a wonderful score. And the cast on the album is spot on. I love those songs. I used "Very Next Man." Um, I did "Marie in Stock," and uh, gained even more respect for it. The piece is beautifully crafted. I actually, I saw a very good revival of it that they did a classic stage company in, I think, twenty sixteen. Oh, good. And it was. I saw a really bad one that <laughs> wasn't a classic stage. I know a really bad one, and it was so bad that I just put it out of my mind. And I, I dragged my husband into the city to see it. And when it was over, I couldn't even speak. And he said, "So we came to see this? Why?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "I said I don't remember anymore. That's the worst interpretation that I've ever seen in my life. It was 
very, very sad. It was just awful. In fact, I remember when we were doing um, Beauty and the Beast in in uh, Houston, and Susan and I, Susan Egan and I, were uh, sharing a dressing room at that point, and she did not know Fiorello. It came up. I brought it up. I'm sure. And I said, "Oh, you're kidding. You've never heard Tom Bosley's Fiorello?" She said, "No." She was very young. And so opening night in New York, I gave her the CD of Fiorello, and she's a good girl. She always finds time to do everything. She was she went crazy. Oh. She went crazy for it. Yeah. It's a great, great album. And okay. so another sort of great entertainment figure who you worked with was Woody Allen as director and playwright on A Second Hand Memory. Um, yes. And so... <laughs> yes. And I live to tell about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was afraid that Woody Allen was going to fire me. I, I, it just, he treated me so poorly one night uh, after rehearsal. He asked me to stay. And I'm telling this story of myself. Um, everyone else had left, and he asked me to stay, so I did. And I had no idea that, I, had, I wasn't concerned about it. I said, okay, he wants to talk to me about something. I don't know why he would have to do it during rehearsal time, but here I am. And he, and his assist, his personal, not his personal assistant, but the assistant that was provided him by the theater was at his side. And he said to me, I just don't understand why I, I'm seeing all this acting, acting, acting. I don't, you, you don't have to work so hard. I, I just, you know, and I, I, I don't get notes. Charles, I don't get notes. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I don't know if I ever told you that, but it's true. I get called Miss Perfect by cast members. You know, oh, Miss Perfect, you get any notes today. Um, I just know what people want, and I give it to them, you know? Yeah. Or maybe I'm not creative. I don't know. But um, I said, and in my own defense, I said, well, you know, what we're doing here is we're rehearsing, and it's only a, just a few days in. I said, and I have a... I was honest with him. I said, I have a big musical comedy uh, background, and I start working in very broad strokes. And But then when I get to know what I'm doing and my words and uh, my intentions and the journey, um, I become a person, and I get more relaxed and I get more, you know. And he said, well, I don't know when that's going to happen because I, I just wouldn't get there. I was so upset that I didn't even call Jack. Whenever I have trouble, I call my husband. I couldn't do it. I was mortified. I was distressed. I was hurt. I was embarrassed. Uh, I, I didn't know what to think. I went into work the next morning, and I thought, clean slate, don't sulk, don't pout, don't be intimidated, just be a big girl, just be Beth, and go in and have a nice day. And the assistant came up to me, and she said, I'm so very sorry you had to listen to that I don't know where it came from it doesn't make any sense but you're not going to hear it anymore I never heard any more about it now we get to previews and we get we're having audiences and suddenly when he looks at me and he's you know in my company everything's good he's smiling he's joking he's calling me Miss Dublin <laughs> I don't know where it came from but he didn't like the way I worked in rehearsal. Oh. But in his defense, he's not used to rehearsal. I met Tony Roberts on the street one day, 
And I said, oh, I said, and I'm going to be working with your buddy pretty soon. He said, yeah. He said, uh, I know. Uh, you're going to be, do what do you do play? He said, uh, I know. He said, we were talking about it. He, he said, he said to me, Tony, why do we have to work, rehearse for three and a half weeks? I mean, three and a half weeks. What, what is it? What is it? What do they need to do? And Tony said, I said to him, it's the actors. We'd like to talk about it, which I thought was very funny. But he doesn't have any concept about rehearsal because he doesn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He's used to doing film. And so... And there's um, very little, very little rehearsal. Oh, yeah. And so I'm curious to ask about a role that you did regionally, which was in Grey Gardens. And how did you sort of approach this tour de force that is that show? Oh, wow. How did I? That was um, that was one of the hardest uh, scores I've ever had to learn. Um, musically, it, it, uh, it, was, it was difficult. I don't know why, but it was. Well, I do know why. It was very complex musically. Um, but I, um, I was with good people. Um, it was, uh, I think it was successful. I, um, I enjoyed doing it. It was scary doing it. It was a lot. It was a lot of uh, crazy stuff to do in a very short amount of time. Uh, we could have used another week of rehearsal. It was one of those pieces, I think, that got better in performance. But uh, I, but it was great fun to play a, a crazy lady, uh, an out-and-out crazy lady. It really was, and I had a ball with it. Uh, and I and I and I could, you know, I really could go for it. And with the and s singing and with the singing and the speaking, it's interpolating with one another. Um, it was. Uh, it was challenging. It wasn't. It wasn't that aspect of the score that was difficult. It was the texture, at my melodic texture in the um, in the, in the score it was very complex, and I had more trouble learning that than I did Sweeney. Oh. Sweeney, I did not have. I I couldn't learn Sweeney from listening to the recording at all. I had to learn it at the keyboard. Um, just I just had to. It, it, you know, it, it deserved to be learned that way too. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was, this other one was a whole other can of worms. It was the same challenge. It's, each one has a different set yeah. of challenges, you know? And so the very last show I'd like to talk about is the reading you did recently of Lost in Yonkers. You, as benefit and... Oh, Lost in Yonkers. Did. How did you hear about that? <laughs> it, um, I replaced... Oh, who did I replace? Oh, Rita Gardner. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, Rita Gardner, fantastic. Um, yes, and it really was last minute, and there really was no, virtually no rehearsal. It was a few hours of an afternoon, and we never got through the play, and I just flew by the seat of my pants. Oh. Um, and uh, and it was great fun. I don't know why. I guess it's because I'm a singer. I've been, I've talked to people about it. Um, I have a good ear for accents. Yeah. And I've never had occasion to use a, a German uh, or a Yiddish or a, an accent like that before that I recall at all. And um, I just took 
to it like a duck to water. I had great fun with that character. Yeah. And also very, uh, it, it was very fun to work the comedy aspect of it, but um, very moving to, uh, to deal with the, the final moments. But it's, um, it's, it's a strange play. I've seen it performed on film. I've seen the, the film version. Oh, me too. And it's, it's an odd piece. Um, and it's not my favorite, but it has fun moments. Unfortunately, there was not time, because we were working with two, forgive me, young people uh, who were not as experienced as you, um, who really didn't understand the humor. And there's nothing worse um, than... To have hearing like young teenagers, like I'm sure you've had the experience because you go to see everything. Um, I saw our teenagers do um, Sweeney Todd, wow. and then the following year, the same Belle, um, the same Mrs. Lovett was Belle. She was a brilliant Belle, but she was a dreadful Mrs. Lovett because she had no sense of the irony and the humor and that she, she had, she was too young of spirit um, to understand. And I've seen two amateur productions of, um, of Sweeney and it's because they, they think they don't know it's a comedy. Yeah. It's a very funny piece. Um, it's very, very dark. But it's a comedy, yeah. And they don't see the humor in it, so that it doesn't, it, and it doesn't pay off. It's it's just lame without it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. And what were you working on right before quarantine? Oh, that was um, a, a a blacklist. Uh, we were doing a, an episode of Blacklist, oh. and um, that was the first that I experienced going into the lunchroom and everybody had to sit, to, you know, at the next table and the, don't touch this and squirt this on your hands and <laughs> like, what now? And we got through the episode, but the next next episode um, that was shot of it, episode 18, was um, partly done in a cartoon uh, because they had shot half of it and they they were determined to finish, finish the episode and that's how they worked it out I don't know if you ever saw it it's it's episode 18 of season 7 and it's um, it's brilliant actually and you know like if somebody hits somebody it's like a cartoon you see bam on the screen and they did caricatures of of all the leads and the supporting characters and it took them quite a while to produce it you know but uh, it was really fun to watch and I said oh dear here goes some lost jobs in the future. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the experience of the quarantine like for you, of course, aside from actually getting COVID, which was? COVID had a great effect on, on all of us, I think. And um, I was talking to somebody just today, just this morning, actually. I think that, um, I think that your, my age affected the way I responded to to COVID, um, and I don't mean physically, I mean psychologically. I think COVID and the wrath that it's wrought on the world um, is going to last in many different kinds of ways 
for a very long time, and I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to see it get healed, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of the domino effect, and a lot, of, a lot of people and a lot of things and a lot of ways of life, a lot of cultural things and um, scientific things and personal things, so many things are affected. Um, and they're all a jumble, and I don't know how long it's going to take for it to all settle down. But um, I'm tr- I'm going to I look at some young people, and I'm very inspired. For I have hope for the future. Uh, I can't. It's very hard to watch the television or read the newspaper, um, and not, and and still maintain hope. Um, but but I do. I yeah. I look at. Uh, at someone like you and I look at my seven-year-old um, grandnephew whose birthday party I just came from oh. and uh, I say what could yeah yeah it kind of what what could be bad what you know there's hope it, we're going to be all right we'll be okay thank you thank you and the thank la- you thank you and the last question I have the very last question is what advice would you give to somebody just starting out in the theater the only advice that I can give anybody that wants to be in the theater that's brave enough to face it is to um, just have faith in yourself and uh, pay attention. If you're if you have the goods to work to get jobs, um, people will will want will want you. If it, and you may have a great talent, and um, maybe the people that you audition for. Uh, don't need that talent, and then you got to move on and find out somebody who does need what you have. We all have a different product. We're here to sell ourselves. That's what we have to do at our auditions, and um, and don't be put down. Uh, don't be beaten down when you're not hired. Uh, just take heart and uh, know that there's something out there for you. If you never get hired, then you have to get the message. Then you have to get the message and say, I guess I, I guess I can't do this. And, and look elsewhere, with either within the business or without. But uh, if you really want to be a part of it, you, you, some people are satisfied if they don't get hired of being part of it in another way. But uh, if you are an actor and you, and you have been told yes as an answer to even a school play um, and people get excited about what you do, um, hang in there. And it's not a matter of who you know. It's a matter of who knows you. So put yourself out there as much as you can. Well, thank you for doing this whole interview. It's been an honor to talk to you, and I'm so glad that we've had this whole conversation. You're, you're very welcome. It's been my pleasure, and you've oh. been a, a lovely host, and I appreciate that. Listeners, oh, thank thanks. you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined by legendary dancer and choreographer Bayork Lee. Bayork Lee made her Broadway debut at the age of five in the original Broadway production of The King and I, and her other dancing credits include Flower Drum Song, Bravo Giovanni, Mr. President, Here's Love, Golden Boy, A Joyful Noise, Henry Sweet Henry, Promises Promises, and Seesaw. She is perhaps
perhaps best known for creating the role of Connie in and serving as the dance captain for the original production of A Chorus Line. She went on to choreograph many productions of that show around the world, including the Broadway revival, and her other choreography credits include My One and Only, along with Tommy Toon, and the tours of Bombay Dreams and The King and I. So make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.